listen to it. All right, we're in Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Father, we know that true wisdom is found in you. Um, everything that we need to know pertaining to life and godliness is found in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have revealed that to us in your grace, in your mercy, in your kindness. All the immeasurable riches that are ours are found in Christ. And you have given him us. He is ours and we are yours. And we look, just look forward, Lord, to to this time now and all eternity to get to know you better. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes a prayer handles the whole sermon. So let's uh, have Dave and the guys back up. We'll do communion. Uh, and go. I'll, I'll say a few words too. All right. So Ephesians 1, 15 through 19. Thank you, Jackie, for reading that. The big idea this morning is that our lives are for beholding God. Like we are designed, created, and meant to behold God in all of his greatness, who he is, our creator, our redeemer. This is what Paul is praying for, for the Ephesian church and for us, just through the continuity of history and through the church. Now, some of you know that for my birthday, Stacy got me a really massive telescope, like super fancy, like so big, I don't know where to keep it in the house, but it's a, a wonderful gift. Like, I love this thing, but it is such a good gift that sadly I don't use it nearly enough to match the enormity of the gift itself, right? Uh, the truth is that clouds on my birthday ruined our plans to go up to Julian for some dark sky to look at the cosmos, and then since then, the demands of life just keep on getting in the way of finding dark sky to marvel at, to look at the beauty that is before us. Now, Stacy gifted me the telescope because she knows I love the stars, which is most likely separate from my fascination with science fiction. Um, but that's a whole nother story. She won't support that love, but she does support my desire to look into the sky. But the expansive beauty of the universe above and before us, right? If we just take a moment to think through how wonderful it is and what a gift that is to us to be able to see it, right? The declaration of the power of God that lights the sky is a steady reminder of our place in the gifts of wonder that he gives us. It's amazing that we get to have that experience. Even when that beauty is there, though, and I have the tools that are necessary to see it, the truth is I don't look up as often as I should. I don't give more than a passing glance to the majesty that is available to the naked eye on a day-in and day-out rotation. 
truth is I spend most of my time probably like you looking down, seeing the circumstances that are on the ground and around us or the things of life that hit us that we have to deal with or the plans that we have to shift, the strategy we have to come up with. As if the banner above us doesn't even exist. And I think this is a picture of our faith at times, right? It's an image for us of a spiritual reality that has some remedy in our text today. That we are meant to behold God, that we are to know who he is, to see the beauty of his riches. And we know God, we believe in Jesus, but do we gaze upon his gifts, his call upon us, his character, the things that we are meant to behold, that shape how we behave and be hope? I just needed another B, right? And I think Ephesians is a, a realigning text for us. It, it gives us better perspective on life. And it realigns us toward this end of beholding God and who he is. And before it lays out the practicalities of the Christian life that will certainly come in this letter, the actions for living that Paul expects all believers to follow. He positions the church among what is essential for life in Christ, for the embrace of all that we have in Jesus and the transformation that that brings. And what it is, he says, is a vision for life that will follow the encounter with God, that that's the central thing. And Paul prays that the church would increasingly look up and see, because in the scene, life is found, hope is uncovered, and salvation is savored is the gift that it is for us. So our lives are for beholding God. Now, if this is true, let's turn the lens of our lives just a little bit to the focus on this prayer that Paul prays. And he starts off giving thanks for their genuine lives, faith in Jesus, right? This is, these are the marks of what it means to be a Christian, essentially that you have faith and that you love, right? So they have faith in Jesus, a trust in him alone for salvation, for a future, for all of life, that he is the most important thing about you. And then he recognizes their love for all the believers, the love toward all other believers. And it's an essential indicator of faith, that you're going to love those that claim Christ just as you do. And then Paul goes on, recognizing them as believers, to pray something very specific for them. It's fascinating. We have to remember, like, Paul is not praying a certain in faith to the will of God. What a perfect view of prayer of what it's meant to be. And it's, a, it's given, it's modeled for us here by Paul. And so this is Paul's prayer for the church, that we would have knowledge and vision. Now, these prayers, one writer says, aren't models for everything we're supposed to pray. This isn't the only type of prayer that we are to give, right? The New Testament's full of other examples. Jesus has even given us an example in the Lord's Prayer, how to seek the Father daily. But what is striking here is that when Paul is praying passionately for his 
people, when he's going for the spiritual jugular, essentially, when he's going for the thing they most need, he ignores their economic circumstances, their political circumstances, and material circumstances, and he prays that they might know the riches, that they might have a heart of understanding for what they already have in Christ. And that's where we want to be this morning. So we start with knowledge. It's just this image of the expansiveness of the cosmos that just gives us a hint of the glory and majesty of God as we look upon it. And Paul could have prayed in this moment for the church to have better finances, right? That money would come. He could have um, asked the Lord for a landlord who would negotiate a better lease for the life of the church instead of making them have to scramble and find a place to meet. More on that later, right? He could have played, prayed for that. He could have prayed for health, right? That all the elders would be healthy and not come down with stomach bugs. He could have prayed for protection against COVID or whatever the equal, you know, life-altering disease was in that moment in history. But that's not what he prayed for, was it? We don't get an indicator here that he is. That, that this is uh, an occasional letter, and it's focused on a singular thing that is happening. But his prayer here helps us actually see what is more foundational than our circumstances, the, the, than the struggles that we experience, what is essential for those that call Jesus their Lord, that this is the necessary thing. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So the great need of any church, whether it is healthy or not, is knowing Christ. And the word knowledge here is an epignosis, right? A, a better, a deeper, a fuller knowledge of Christ. And Paul's prayer is that that would come, that knowledge would come to us by the Spirit. And so for the second time in this letter, we see the Spirit and His work in us. And although all believers are already sealed with the Spirit, which we saw in verse 13, there's still a need for them to be filled with the Spirit and then walk according to His work in our lives. And as we saw um, last week, that vital ministry of the Spirit is as a guarantee of eternity for us, our inheritance in Christ, a, a down payment and this then is the unfolding ministry of the spirit in our lives giving us more of god that we would know him that we would have wisdom and revelation of who he is tim keller who jackie said you, every week there's a tim keller quote and she's right whether you know it or not i'm quoting tim keller right but he says that's what Paul always prays as the primary thing he wants for the people he loves. Always. He ignores circumstances and goes after this. Why? Because if you have this thing he's talking about, then no matter how bad your circumstances are, you'll process those circumstances in a way that will make you great. If you don't have this, no matter how good your circumstances are, you will process those circumstances in a way that will make you shallow and weak. So having this knowledge of God of who he is and what he says of us, the riches of his glory actually shapes how we encounter life, how we face the circumstances that come. And Paul is praying that we would know God. 
that we would know his character, that he formed us, that he chose us, that he saved us in Christ. And it's an intellectual pursuit for sure, but this is spiritual that he's praying for. He's praying for wisdom given by God himself. Think about it in, in terms of relationships. Now, I have known Stacy, and I have been learning Stacy for close to 20 years now, right? And I could have, when we started getting together, I could have done interviews with all the other people that were around her or knew her, right? I could have, I have a degree in journalism. I could have investigated Stacy, right? I could have also read through all of her old school yearbooks. I could still do this. We've had them in a box along with mine. I don't know why we keep <laughs> such things. Somebody digitized them so I can get rid of the space, right? But I could have read through her old yearbooks or maybe even her old diaries. You don't have any? She <laughs> well, if she had such a thing, right? But if I did those things, if I investigated, if I just said, Christian, tell me about Stacy, or Julie, tell me about Stacy, or any of you in the Sunday Bible study, tell me about Stacy, because she's probably revealing more there than she does in other spaces. But if I did those things, I would only have information on other people's perspectives of her or thoughts that were not tied to the current moment, to the present, right, of who she is. But instead of doing that, because I've got a little bit of relational wisdom, right? I've spent time with her, discovering who she is, learning her desires, her penchants, her personality, all of which time with her uncovers, right? As she determines to make herself known to me, I am learning more of her. And God willing, I'm going to go on learning, right? She's the only one forever. And I'm eating in such a way that I'll die well before her, so it's okay. But in the exact same way of like our relationships are meant to work, here, knowledge of God comes as over time he reveals himself to us, increasingly giving us understanding of his love, of his purpose, and what he desires. And the spirit of wisdom that Paul's talking about refers right to the Holy Spirit's secret working in Christians to give us insights into God's word and the saving knowledge of him. And it's God determining to make himself known to us. John Stott says the knowledge for which Paul prays is more Hebrew than Greek in concept. It adds the knowledge of experience to the knowledge of understanding. And more than this, it emphasizes the knowledge of him, of God himself personally. There is no higher knowledge than the knowledge of God himself. And such knowledge is impossible without revelation work by the Spirit. So Paul knows what's essential, and he's praying it for the church. It's the Spirit of wisdom. The Holy Spirit would reveal God to the church. So we pray with Paul for the Spirit's illumination. When we come to the Word, we, we sang the song about it. As we come, like, reveal yourself to us, God, that we would know God, that we would understand all of His Word and then behold Him in it, in, in creation, and in each other. J.I. Packer, the guy who wrote the book, Knowing God, right? He's the, he was the expert. He says, all my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. 
what a, a gift for us. It's not just us going after knowledge of God. It's that he wants to be known. That he gives his spirit that we would have this revelation of who he is. And I have to be honest, I struggled with writing this sermon this week because my inclinations are essentially to explain to you how you can know God more. Right? To give you some practical steps to achieving what Paul is actually praying for here. But, and as like a reformed pastor, I want to give you a list of books to read. Right? I got a great stack. You guys got to take home today to unrelated to this topic, but they'll, they'll tell you a little bit about the Lord, right? Or I even like collectively as a church, I think through, oh, maybe we should do some classes that we can inform and educate you on who God is. And those are all really good things that we most assuredly should do as we pursue Jesus together. But what Paul is exposing here is that what he prays for is not something to be earned or for the church to work itself up to or to gain knowledge or to be labored toward. It is a request, a posture of need before God. He's asking that the Spirit would reveal more of who he is to us. We need the Spirit to work, the Spirit to give us wisdom, the Spirit to reveal this knowledge. It's just us lifting our heads and putting our eyes on the telescope and asking to be shown who he is. We want to know you, God. For some of us, we can think of when the gospel came alive to you for the first time, right? If you were like me, you knew the metrics of the gospel, right? You knew about sin, forgiveness, kind of the players, God, us, right? God and humanity. You knew the facts of the gospel. But when the Spirit moved and enlightened your heart to the reality of God's grace, it was something wholly different than just facts. It was real. It was for you. My friend Lance Sherwood, who's a, a pastor, and he, he and his family were here while he was on sabbatical, and I had lunch with him. Was it just this last week? When was all the rain? This last week. I did a lot this last week. Whew. i got to stretch out my weeks, right? But asked just Lance, I was like, well, what did you learn on sabbatical? Because I'm never going to take one, so tell me what you learned, right? And he said that he in, when it comes to preaching, he's been realizing that what we need as a church is not necessarily a lecture, uh, because that's how he approached it. He wanted to give a seminary lecture to his church, right? He said, I don't need to lecture them. I need to bring them into the presence of God, that they would experience their creator, because his presence, knowing him, actually changes everything. It forms us. It empowers us. It sends us. Stacey and I have started watching this uh, the show Masters of the Air. Anybody seen this? It's a, about World War II bombers. Um, and so it, as you it would expect in the vein of Band of Brothers, it's kind of that same graphic reality of war. But there was, in one of the early episodes, as you're meeting one of the key characters, he wears this very recognizable aftershave. And somebody makes mention of it. But then... They were on a bombing run, and his flying fortress came into formation and helped protect another uh, bomber. And somebody said, oh, that was Buck that helped us. And the pilot said, oh, for sure it is. I can recognize that aftershave anywhere. 
right? And of course, you know, he's talking about somebody smelling, so I paid attention, right? But that's this type of knowing that Paul is praying for, that we're catching the smell of Jesus, right? And when we have that by the Spirit, it's protection against the counterfeits. Like we can recognize the bowl when others are producing it because that does not smell like Jesus. And it's a recognition of his heart of, that gives us a picture of what we are to become as we become more like him. And this knowledge that Paul is praying for is eternal life for us. And we saw this in the high priestly prayer last week from John 17. Jesus says this. He says, then this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Paul says, would the Spirit give you revelation and knowledge of him? What he's praying for is that you would have eternal living in this moment, knowing who God is. You'd have more of Jesus, not merely factual knowledge, but intimate knowing. And I know it's a little bit mystical for some of us, and it's maybe unsettling for others of us, but it's exactly what Paul is praying for the church to have here. And if we're supposed to be weird, we're continuationists, right? Like, and if, if I want the Spirit to move in any way in particular, it is that he would give us revelation of who God is and what he's called us to be as he gives us his grace in Christ. J.I. Packer, again, uh, knowing God, says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place on their own accord. There is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with full assurance that they have known God and God has known them and that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life through death and on forever. And this is what Paul's praying for us. This is what we're to be praying for each other. Knowledge that leads then to seeing more of him, to vision. Paul helps us by praying toward that which will come when we know of God, right? He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And I feel like it, we're, you know, later, keep reading. Right? We're going to get to it next week. But there, all the good things that he worked by his might were for you and for the good of the church. But from knowledge, we move into what Paul is praying for, which is essentially a soul vision, the, the enlightenment of the eyes of your heart. And the word heart here is used in the Bible not to describe just the organ that's pumping blood around our limbs, but the center of our physical and spiritual being combining then our intellectual understanding with our personal affections. It's like the totality of who we are at our core. So Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened by God to love the things that God loves so that these Christians will see the world the way God sees it, which is the way it already is. 
that he'd just help us see clearly what is before us. And I think this bends towards maturity for us, that as you have an increasing knowledge of who God is, you have a further vision and an ability to see what you already have in Christ, and that makes you more mature in him. We see it all over the New Testament. The Apostle Peter will describe it as us being newborn babes in the beginning, growing up with spiritual milk, then moving on to meet. And Peter and Paul both will say that at first, when you come and meet God through Jesus Christ, you're really only looking at that moment for love or maybe forgiveness or generally speaking, you're usually just looking for some strength to meet your immediate crisis. But what Paul is praying for in Ephesians is that he's saying your biggest problem is not that you need to try harder or you need some secret to a new kind of power. You just need to know what you already have. And that's the way to maturity, to know who you already are in Christ. And he just prays for the church to see it. All that stuff of the doxology that he prayed through, those spiritual blessings that you already have in Christ, the redemption that you have in Christ. It's just a a fullness of understanding the beauty and the riches of those things. And this is what this vision entails, right? It's that you would know the hope to which he has called you. He's called you to salvation, to new life, to mission, to eternity with him. It just goes on forever that it's that good for us and the word hope means confidence here it means assurance it means a buoyancy through the waves of life and it means boldness boldness to stand firm in faith in christ come what may so we know the hope to which he's called us but then also we want to see the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and this is good right And we have eyes to see it because what Paul's praying for is that we would see the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So he's talking about God's inheritance here in you. This is us. Paul's praying that we would, in knowledge of God, catch a vision for our value in him, how he sees us and how he sees us. Again, Tim Keller, first of all, the most astounding thing here is Paul is saying there is something that God, the maker and owner of the universe, considers his special treasure, considers his inheritance, considers his dowry, considers his jewels. There is something, and that's amazing enough. Then he tells you what it is. And what is it? It is us. If you're a Christian, it's you. His glorious inheritance in the saints is you, church. Like I, most of us come from pretty privileged experiences, but there are probably moments in your lives where you did not feel like you had a lot of value. Something happened. Someone belittled you or the world told you you weren't worth it. And what scripture declares in the grace of Christ and the spirit of wisdom tells us that you were worth it. That you are the treasure of God. That he loves you so much he would give himself for you. That you are the riches of his inheritance in the saints. Tremendously good news. So you see those riches and then 
he, he prays that we'd see the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is supernatural power that keeps us, that equips us, that surrounds us for all of life, going through whatever it is we are going through. And when we recall that all, all of this power is for us, it is no wonder that we should pray that our eyes might be open to see it, to marvel at it, to believe in it. One pastor says about this power, what we must see is that the power that raised Jesus from the dead can bear directly on our lives now and at his appearing. This stupendous power changes us from children of hell to children of God and gives us practical victory over sin in our lives and the circumstances we will face. We will see it visibly someday in the resurrection of our bodies for no created Power in the universe can do that only through the greatness of his power. His great might is it possible. Yet this same power is operating in and for those of us who believe right now. There is not a day that goes by that we don't need to tap into this power. We don't have the strength in and of ourselves, but he has claimed us. He has called us, redeemed us, and granted his power for those that believe in him. And according to this, to what he has already done in Christ, that he's given us forgiveness, redemption, righteousness, identity, and community. That's what we're supposed to see. These are the riches that he has for us. And these are glorious and good, surpassing anything the world can provide. And the truth is then that vision compels action, right? We see as God sees. And it's not just something that like now we feel better because we recognize that he values us, that he treasures us, but then we start to see other, other image bearers, right? The least, those in need, brothers and sisters in Christ through the same lens with which God sees us. And we set the table for the feast and compel others to come in and be part of the family. Because God desires for them to come and be part of his kingdom. As we read this prayer, as we think of Paul praying it for the church and his words being prayed over us as members of that same historic church, the truth is I just want more of it. I want more of Jesus. I don't want to settle. I mean, you know, I, I have a master's degree in the Bible, right? And we're eventually moving out of this space and I have to take my diploma off the wall and I've asked my wife for permission to put it just over my pillow. <laughs> and she has rolled her eyes every time I made that suggestion, right? But if I look at that thing, and I think, and maybe I've said it to Derry or others of you, I have a master's degree in the Bible, but the, mas the Bible is yet to master me. I want more of Jesus. There's so much, there's like distraction in our world. There's so much that screams that we're supposed to be about it when this just fills us. Who he is, what he's done, what he's called us to do, the power that he gives us to do that work that he set before us. So I don't want to settle, but I want to move further up and further in as C.S. Lewis said. 
So shall we go there together? Shall we look up together? I'll bring the telescope. Our lives are for beholding God. May we do that. Friends, see Jesus. Have faith in him, just like this church in Ephesus. And know it's a wild ride. It's going to change your life. There are going to be hard moments. There are going to be drops. And there's going to be exhilaration alongside it. And then commit to pray this way. Just as Paul does. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for others that we would have knowledge and vision of Jesus. Take the lens cap off the telescope of your heart that the spirit of wisdom would give you knowledge of him. Life is meant for this knowledge. God can be known, revealed in his word and by his spirit for all of life. May we behold him. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your spirit that reveals who you are. It reveals the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. It reveals the hope to which you have called us and the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. Lord, I just pray for a, a, a spiritual moment for us. It's like, I thank you for that sense even in my own heart this morning, that you do value us, you love us, you've given us all these gifts. Or as we sang earlier, that Jesus is better, help my heart believe that is our prayer. Work that in us for your glory and our good, O oh Lord. Lord, from the place of knowledge and vision, compel us to love others the way you love us that your kingdom would go forth. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.